Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Yeah, well, man, they said it well. Uh, as you might imagine, we're going to be talking about church membership today. How about that? You know, there's something really, really great about church membership. I, I, I don't know of any other institution on the earth like the church, where there is a particular group of people who have been placed to care specifically for your soul. There's a lot of different institutions. There's your bank. There's school institutions. There's all these great things in our community that provide a service to you, but there is only one that is specifically designed to care for and to nurture and to shepherd your soul. And that is church leadership. And, and, and that's part of the reason why church membership is so wonderful. But I think what they touched on too, which was so great, and we're gonna talk about this at length today, is that the church is a family. It's a family and it ought to be a family. So when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, we talked about that last week, right? The idea of connecting with him. So you connect with him. The next step is connecting with one another, right? If you're a part of the body of Christ, then you are a member of the church, the large C, big C church, but then also you become a member of the small C church and that is us, First Baptist Belton. And we are to function and to act as God's family on this earth. And there is great power in that. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, if, if you don't know me very well, then I'm gonna bring you up to a little bit of speed on one of my kind of weird hobbies. I have a weird hobby. I know that that's surprising to you, uh, but I do. And that is, I love to study culture. I love to study different personalities because I have found that when you understand you, the way that God has uniquely wired you, and then you understand others and how God has uniquely wired them, it allows you to extend grace to people, those difficult people, you know who I'm talking about, right? It allows you to extend grace to them, but you know what else it does? It allows you to extend grace to yourself, right? We're not all perfect. And yet at the same time, it allows us to function as a family when we understand each other a little bit better. Now, science says that there's two groups of people in the room. Okay, so there's two groups of people in the room. There are extroverts, and then there are introverts. Now, you may know that an extrovert is somebody who receives energy by being with people. So they walk away from a gathering like this, or Sunday school, or a group, or a party, or whatever that might look like. They walk away energized because they've been around people. Now, our introverts in the room, they do not get energy from being around people but rather they derive their energy from being by themselves, being alone, or maybe even being in a small group of people. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna have a little fun this morning, okay? So let me see a show of hands. How many of my extroverts are in the room? Would you raise your hand, extroverts? I like it. Yeah, the extroverts, they're here for the party. I love it. Now, all right, let me see my introverts in the room. Who are my introverts? All right, yep. Okay, now here's, here's even more fun. How many of you have no idea what you are? I'm kind of with you. There's times where I'm like, man, I can get fired up in a group and I'm excited and energized. And then there's other groups and you know those groups that I walk away and I'm like, man, that was exhausting, right? But it's funny. So God has uniquely wired us all 
Um, And yet, here's something that we all need to know, okay? So whether you're an extrovert, whether you're an introvert, or somewhere in between, here's what you need to know this morning. God has uniquely designed you for relationships. Yes, introverts. God has designed you for a relationship. In fact, that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God, he's, well, Moses is writing, and here's what he says. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, who's the us? Who's the our in that? Well, it's the Trinity. It's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so, while this is some really complex stuff, and it is, right, God has lived from eternity past in community with Himself, in relationship with Himself. There's three personalities in God. That's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, part of you and I being made in His image is the fact that we have been designed to live in relationship with other people. You and I were uniquely designed to live in relationship with God first, and then man second. Now, you may recall from last week, we talked about the truth that the path to purpose begins with a relationship with Jesus, right? So we talked about this last week, this idea of connecting, that God sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth to bridge the gap between us and God. Because of our sin, we are now separated from God. Remember we talked about that? And Jesus comes to the earth, and what he does is he goes to the cross, and he pays for your sin there on the cross. And by doing that, he's buried into the grave, he's resurrected to life three days later, and then by the nature of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he has created a bridge, a connecting point between us and God. So the path to purpose begins when we first and foremost connect in a relationship with him. And this week, what we're going to talk about here is, is that, that, that while the pur- path to purpose begins with a relationship with God, we're going to talk about the fact that our purpose is powered by our relationships with one another. So it begins with God, but it is empowered by our relationship with one another. And so that being said, we're going to be talking about the need for each and every one of us to be connected, to be a member and a part of God's family, both collectively as the big C, but then also in the local church context as well. So that being the case, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and meet me in in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is a great, great passage. I'm going to catch you up here briefly. What you need to know is that Jesus has, has died. He has come back to life. And then by the nature of that, he has gathered up his disciples, and he has given them a mission. You may know that as the Great Commission. He's told them to go into all nations, uh, preaching the gospel and inviting people to believe in Jesus, right? Baptizing them, teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus. So that's the Great Commission that God has, or that Jesus has given his disciples, right? And then he gathers them up. And then in chapter 2 of Acts, something really unique happens. Uh, Everyone has gathered together in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit falls on the people. Peter stands up. He boldly proclaims the gospel, uh, tells of the life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit just 
just falls on the people. Some pretty wild things happen. But right then and there, you have the church born as we know it today. So right there in Jerusalem, the text says in verse 21 or verse 41 of chapter 2 that 3,000 souls were saved that day. That's pretty incredible, pretty powerful. But then right after that, here's what I want you to see is how they are described. So what is it that marked the early church? And I want you to think as we're talking through, what's the difference between the early church and even maybe the church today? Okay, so there's five priorities that I want you to see. So look for them here as we read together. Verse 42, and they, speaking of the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered, were gathered together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing to the, their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." You know, guys, this is a, a, it's a powerful passage of Scripture, no doubt. And while it doesn't say church membership here, it does give us a vision for what our church membership, our family, ought to look like. It gives us some practices, some priorities that you and I ought to consider when we think about church. What is church? Why do we do church? All of those things. There are five priorities that I want you to see this morning. And the first one is this. The first one that I want you to see is that they were devoted to the Word. They were devoted to the Word. That word devoted means to be committed, to give yourself to something. It means to commit yourself to something. In verse 42, it says that they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, I'm probably beating a dead horse here if you've been here over the last couple of months, but we have to understand that it is the authority of God's Word that must be the priority over our lives. That's the reason why our core value is prioritizing the Bible. We want to prioritize the Bible over everything else. Why? Because it is our standard of truth, and it is the, the God's direct, direction for how we are to live our lives. It needs to be the priority over everything else. When Paul was writing to his young protege, Timothy, here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. He says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, which is why we teach the Bible, because it's profitable for teaching. But it's also profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so it is, as you and I weekly come to this gathering place, we devote ourselves, we commit ourselves to the teaching and the authority of God's Word, and then by doing so, we're confronted with the truth of God, and we're confronted with His will for our lives, and here's what happens. It transforms us. There's power in the Word of God. It actually transforms us. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer would say that it is living and active, that as you and I read the Word, it actually reads us. 
that it divides our soul, it opens us up and does heart surgery as we read, it, read the word and we submit to the, its authority, it transforms us into the image of the Son. Yeah, but each and every time before I teach or before I preach or, or do anything, um, I, I always remind myself of Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. Maybe you have, can remember this, this verse, but here's what Isaiah writes. He says, for the, as the rain and the snow come down and down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's what he says. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so God has a purpose for his word. And that purpose is, is that it would go out from his mouth and that as we submit to its authority, it would transform us. In fact, each week as we devote ourselves to the word, God meets with us in that word. He meets with us and he's doing something in us. In fact, I believe that God is using his word through the work of the spirit to conform us into the image of his son. And guys, that's why it's so important that you and I meet every week, right? It's not to just hear me speak, right? It's not to sing some songs, check the box, and go home. But rather, we meet together as a family to sit under the authority of the word. And and as we do so, we meet with God, and as we meet with him, He begins to change us from the inside out through the power of his word in the spirit. And so they devoted themselves to the word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But secondly, they devoted themselves to the family. They devoted themselves to the family. In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread And then if you drop down into verse 46, it says, And day by day they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. It even says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. Listen, this church was marked by a love and a devotion to one another. They functioned as a family. We're going to see this, this theme played out more and more. Now, they devoted themselves to the community, to spending time with one another, to sharing a meal together. And you know, I don't know what it is about sharing a meal together, but for whatever reason, it has significant power. You know, when you get around the table with a group of people and you share a meal with somebody, it, it, it has the power of somehow or another breaking down walls where you can be vulnerable and open and you can share and you can experience life with one another. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why the family in America is struggling so much because, well, quite frankly, we're so busy that we don't sit around the table and talk anymore. We've got these silly things in our pockets or in our purses that have a tendency to distract us or the TV in the background and and we don't share intimate time with each other around the table. We wonder why the family's breaking up. And yet at the same time, here, here's what's unique, and, and maybe you've found this to be interesting yourself, that some of Jesus' most intimate times are with him, with his friends around the table. I mean, think about it. 
What did Jesus do on the last night of his life? He shared a meal with his friends. He spent time together sharing a meal with his friends. And sure, he institutes the Lord's Supper, but I think he does that on purpose. I think on the last night, he gathers up his friends. They share a meal together. They, they share a real-life experience with one another where community is formed and, and, and relationships are forged. And that's part of the reason why we even do this today. Right? Every time we take of the Lord's Supper, we are agreeing together that it is the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that transforms us. It's the gospel that unites us. It's the gospel that brings us together. And so while I can look out into this room and I can see that we've got a lot of different ethnicities and nationalities represented, we've got different languages that people speak. We've got all kinds of differences, but all of those differences are left at the door as we gather together because we are unified in Jesus Christ. And it's when we celebrate the Lord's Supper that it just brings us together like nothing else can. And I think it's because it's at the, it's at the, the table where you and I experience true relationship and where biblical community is formed. They devoted themselves to the word. They vote, devoted themselves to the family and, and being unified in the family. But then thirdly, they also devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. You'll see that in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You know, there's something powerful when we come together and we share a meal together. But there's something also incredibly powerful when you and I come together and pray. There's nothing else, there's just nothing like it. There's power in our prayer as we gather together and we seek out the Lord's will for our lives, both individually and collectively. It is simply to say as we come before him, we go to the Lord in prayer, and it is our confession that, Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your direction. We need your presence. We need your help. We desperately need you. In fact, it is to say collectively, Lord, we cannot we cannot do it apart from you. We can't. And so as you and I gather together and we seek out the Lord and we seek his will for our church and, and for our lives, again, both individually and collectively, it is to say as a family, Lord, we need your help. And it's when you and I do that, that's when God shows up. That's when God does his best work, when we submit to him and, and we come to an end of ourselves and say, God, we, we don't know what the direction for our lives. We don't have all the answers. As a church, we can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just figure it out. Sure, we can attempt that, and maybe it will work for a little while, but then soon we're going to come to the end of ourselves where we're going to all together have to come together as a family and say, okay, Lord, we've given it our best shot, but we need you. We need you to move. We need you to transform us. We need you to give us wisdom. We need you to give us direction because apart from you, we have nothing. Jesus reminds us of that in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That applies to us as a gathered body. Apart from him, 
apart from dependence on him and us abiding in him as a church, as a family, we can do nothing. So they were devoted to the word, sitting under the teaching of the word. They were devoted to the family. They treated the body as a family. But then also, they were devoted to prayer. And then fourth, they were devoted to generosity. They were devoted to generosity. In verse 45, it says that they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Humorously, I've heard people say, well, well, you know, the early church, they were just a bunch of socialists. You heard that? And, and, and maybe that's true. I don't really know. But here's what I do know. What I do know of the early church is they saw a need. And if anyone had a need in the family, they were willing to step up and provide for that need. And that is powerful. It's powerful when a group of people like this gets together, again, from various different backgrounds. We all have our own stories. We all have uh, all of those things that we bring to the table, so to speak, as we bring uh, to our time together. Many of us have means. Some of us do not. And yet at the same time, when the family comes together and we meet each other's needs, there's something so powerful that happens in the family, but there's also something so powerful that happens for the community. Because the community begins to see, oh wow, they, they believe what they say they believe. Because they live it with one another. There's something so powerful when the church comes together and meets particular needs. The early church, they didn't wait for needs to arise. They were looking for them. And rather than hoarding things for themselves and buying more things that they don't need, they were quick to say, hey, you know what? How can we bless somebody? How can we help someone? How can we care for someone? You know, perhaps maybe the best illustration for this in my life uh, came about six and a half years ago. Uh, Six and a half years ago, my brother had just... Uh, got, his new, got a new job in, in, in Fort Worth. He had just graduated from Texas State. He moved to Fort Worth, and in the kind of interim time, he was staying with Jordan and I in our home. And um, one summer afternoon or evening, we were out at the Trinity River, and we were just spending time together, having a great time. The sun was going down, beautiful evening. It was a little swimming hole down there, and my brother jumped in. And when he jumped in, he hit something. We don't know what he hit. And it would just be a couple of days later that we would find out that he was paralyzed from his chest down for the rest of his life. My brother celebrated his 24th birthday in the hospital. Now, many of you have probably heard me tell a little bit of this story, but there's, there's parts of the story that I've, I've actually never shared with you. Um, you know, hearing the news at the age of 24 that you will never walk again, was probably some of the hardest words that you'll ever hear. But then the days following, it only gets worse. Because here's what happens. You have all these doctors and you have all these well-meaning people coming into your room and, and, and they're trying to care for you the best that they can and they're doing a great job. But here's the reality. He's not going to be able to walk again for the rest of his life. And then on top of that, you find out that for him to live even somewhat of a normal life, it's going to cost thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Because see, for him to be mobile, he's going to have to have a chair. 
Well, that chair's about $90,000 that he's going to need. He's going to have to have a shower chair just to shower. He's going to have to have a vehicle to transport to and from uh, rehab and, and just, just to get on with life. He's going to have to have all this equipment, all of these things, just to have a somewhat normal semblance of life. Well, let me tell you how the church stepped up. Because I will tell you today that we would not have survived that if it wasn't for the church. See, the church showed up in a unique way in that there was a guy who literally bought a house so that my mom and dad could stay in this house while my, my, my mom or my, my, my brother was going through rehab. There was a group, and, they, and he was from my parents' church. I can't even imagine how much money he spent on this house in order just to, to care for my, my mom and my brother. There were people in our church who raised so much money that they completely renovated my parents' house. See, if you walked into my parents' house beforehand, you would walk in the front door and you would enter into basically kind of a little foyer area and then you would go into the, to the living room. And as you go into the living room, there would be a step kind of quite like this. You would step down into the living room. There were people who paid for, for them to pour concrete all throughout that living room and to refloor the entire house all so that my brother could get around in my mom and dad's house. They renovated the bathroom. They renovated rooms. They renovated the front part of my parents' house so that my brother could get his wheelchair into their house. They had somebody come down and renovate our house in Fort Worth just to make sure that he could get in and get out of our house while he was doing rehab and some other things. There was somebody who purchased a vehicle so that my brother could get to and from rehab. These people who did this were members of my mom and dad's church, the church I grew up in. That's the power of community, where we look out for one another, where we take care of one another, where we don't allow preferences to overshadow the thing that's the most important part, which is we're family. There's something so powerful when the church comes together and they care for one another. There is nothing like it on the face of the earth. That's why we do this every week. It's not just to make you happy for you to check the box or for you to come complain about things that you don't like. It's so that we could worship God who gave his son for you and me so that we would come together and that we would share that unique bond and that we would celebrate the fact that we were once dead and now we are alive. And now we are a part of this family that's amazing where we take care of one another, where we encourage one another, we hold each other accountable and we push each other to more of Jesus. There is nothing else like it. It's powerful. Our purpose on this earth is empowered by the community that you and I get to experience called the church. But not only that, not only were they generous, but, but what the text also says is that they were devoted to worship. They were devoted to worship. In verse 43 it says, and awe came upon every one of them. They lived with a sense of awe. That same Greek word is where we get the word awestruck. Isn't that a great word, awestruck? They were awestruck by what God had done for them by what God was doing in them and what God was continuing to do for them. They lived with a sense of awe. 
You know, I love there, there's a book, it's, it's uh, Recapturing Wonder. And, and that's what he talks about. He says, one of the problems that you and I have is that, is that we live in a disenchanted society. Where we kind of just look at everything with a glass half empty kind of outlook. But he says, when we come to the church, if, if we've been born again to new life, and if 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, if, if that's right, that we've been been made a new creation, then we ought to have a new outlook on life. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 12. He says we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That there's a newness to the way that we see the world. There's a new lens that we see the world. And it's one of of people who have been buried with Christ in his death and have been raised to newness of life. I don't know how you'd be grumpy when you went from death to life. I'll tell you how. It's because we become so focused on ourselves and not focused on him. Paul David Tripp, he, he writes this. He says, it's, a dangerous, it's dangerous to live without your heart being captured by awe of God. Because awe of God is quickly replaced by awe of you. He continues, when awe of God has captured your heart, ministry begins to fill your schedule You won't need the church to schedule ministry for you. You will approach work, marriage, parenting, extended family, friendships, and community with the ministry mentality. When the awe of God is central to who you are, all of your life becomes ministry. All of it. Your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, your family, extended family, all of it becomes an opportunity for ministry. Does that describe you? Is your life marked by a sense of awe? You know, the early church wasn't perfect. Just read 1 Corinthians. They weren't perfect. And it won't be perfect. The church won't be perfect, y'all. We will be called hypocrites until Jesus comes back. And the reason being is because you and I are in it. But that's also what makes it so beautiful. That's also what makes the church so beautiful is that you and I are in it. All of our messes, you know, all of our baggage, all of what makes us who we are, the goods, the bads, and the uglies, All of that comes here so that we can care for one another. We can encourage one another. We can sharpen one another. We can make each other better. And Lord willing, by God's grace, we can be transformed together into the image of the Son. And so again, it's not perfect. It's not perfect, but that's what makes it beautiful. And when we buy into the vision, the Jesus' vision for the church, here's what happens. We experience purpose and meaning and fulfillment as we commit ourselves to God. We commit ourselves to sitting on the authority of of, of his word as we apply it to our lives. We experience purpose, meaning, and fulfillment when we commit ourselves to one another. And when we commit to a common vision to see all generations come to know and follow Jesus. We cannot, we will not ever be a church that's about one generation. We have to be about all generations because God is about all generations. 
It's a multi-generational, multicultural family of us coming together under the banner and the lordship of Jesus Christ as we seek to worship him, sitting under his word, as we seek him in prayer, as we give our lives generously for one another, as we take care of each other. That's where you and I find a sense of purpose and meaning and value. As Marcus said in the video, that's where we become known and we know others. And something powerful happens. The powerful thing that happens when we, are, when we demonstrate this and live this out, it's the same thing that, that we find here in verse 47. It says that they were praising God and they had favor with all people. As we praise God and we live together as a multicultural, multi-generational family, here's what happens. We begin to have favor with our community. Because they go, wow, these people, they really do believe what they say they believe. They live it and they live it together. They have favor with all people, but they're also marked by generosity. You'll see that in verse 46. They're marked with a grateful and, and, and generous hearts. They receive their food gladly. Is your life marked by gladness? Is it marked by gratitude? Not only that, but the latter half of verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Listen, I would have never thought, as I'm reading through this, that the way in which we live together is the best church growth strategy. I'd have never thought about that. Listen, I read about church growth strategies all the time. I read about, well, how do you grow a church? I read about, how do you make churches healthy? I, I spend a lot of time studying all of those things and reading about those. But here it is. You want to grow? You want to be healthy? Then we live out these five priorities. Because when we do, here's what happens. It's the Lord adding to their number. Not us adding to our numbers. It's the Lord adding to our numbers. All we have to do is be faithful to preach the word, to submit our lives to the word, under the, sit under the teaching of God's word, be a family, be people of prayer, be generous with one another, be a people marked by worship, and when we do those things, God adds to our number. That doesn't mean that you and I don't do what we need to do and be faithful to proclaim the, the good news of, of Jesus in our neighborhoods and our workplaces. We certainly need to do that. We need to be about the Great Commission. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But we also need to be a people who act like a family because we are a family. We are a family. And that's what church membership is all about. That's what connecting First with Jesus and then connecting with his body is all about. And so I'm really, really excited here. This, this, this morning, uh, uh, we had, uh, Chad announced it this morning that we're gonna have our new members class and it's gonna be right over here. I'm gonna teach that class so you, you can forgive me if you join, I'm gonna teach it. But it's so important that you come to that and maybe the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and, and leading you to be a part of what God's doing here. Listen, that's awesome. We want you to be a part of what God's doing here because he's doing great things. This is a great opportunity for you to come and learn about our church. It's no pressure. We're not gonna uh, hold you, you know, in the room to make you commit by any means. You'll have an invitation to do that, but it's a no pressure deal. You don't have to RSVP. All you gotta do is just show up. My prayer this morning is that we would fill that whole section with people who wanna know about what God's doing here and wanting to commit to a family 
not just a group of people, but committing to a family because that's what it's all about, okay? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, but we certainly thank you for your goodness and your grace because it's your grace that binds us together. It's your grace that brings us together. Father, we are desperately in need of you. Father, we need you to move amongst us. We need you to transform us as we do these things, Lord. Transform our hearts. Bring us together. Unite us together under the banner of Jesus. Father, your grace is sufficient for us. But Father, we need you. We need you. And I pray that you would make us a generous people, a worshipful people. And again, you would transform us from one degree of glory to the next. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.